0: Good evening, you are tuned in to another episode of Writer's Block on CJSW 90.9 FM. Writer's Block airs on the third Wednesday of the month from 8 to 8.30pm. Our show features inspiring interviews, poetry and fiction readings, and other literary segments. This episode of Writer's Block features interviews with Deborah Willis and MJ Pankey. If you have to miss a part of this episode, you can always tune in again on CJSW.com. Coming up is our first interview. Let's get started.
1: Hi, uh, my name is Jenny Kwong for Writer's Walk on CJSW 9.9 FM in Calgary. Today, I'm speaking with Deborah Willis about her debut novel, Girlfriend on Mars. So welcome, Deborah.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks
1: for having me on. And so what sparked the idea for this uh, book?
2: Yeah, (laughs) I guess. So it was a sort of reality that sparked the idea because there actually was talk um, in the news of a company that wanted to start a reality show that would send the winners of the reality show to Mars. And the plan was like to colonize Mars and have several seasons of the show. And each time, you know, four people would get chosen, then they would get sent to Mars. And I thought it was just such a totally absurd premise. And... I mean, the, in real life, it all ended up falling apart. But that sort of sparked the idea for my book, which is about uh, a couple. And one of the the woman in the couple is on the reality show. She wants to go to Mars, and her boyfriend wants to stay on Earth. So I just, I just started thinking about that. What, what would it feel like if someone you love told you that they wanted to move to Mars forever?
1: And so, what is the relationship like between Amber and Kevin?
2: It's pretty. Uh, dysfunctional I guess I would say and also very loving. so I I felt a lot of um, sympathy and empathy for these characters because they really do love each other they've been together for 14 years they, they've been together since high school and they're really in a rut and they also um, I think this is really common in relationships they have never really learned um, how to communicate with each other and they have um, a fair amount of like early life. Attachment wounds and trauma—that's kind of blocking them from being able to actually be honest with each other. Um, I guess I, I've heard from readers, you know, that the, the relationship sometimes seems really negative, but I also think there's a lot of beauty in it because they have loved each other through a lot of uh, hard times, and they've supported each other, and they've—and um, they're they're struggling in the novel to to get to a place of of you know loving each other more honestly.
1: And so what was it like to poke fun at the reality show genre? Because I know uh, Survivor started in 2000 and it's been uh, it's still going and with so many other reality shows uh, that are still around, it seems a bit of like uh, television nostalgia.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because the reality show that in the book is kind of survivor like I have never really gotten into like I know Vanderpump Rules right now is like huge and everybody's watching it. I've never watched reality shows of that kind, though I did watch a bit of Survivor and, and for the book, I watched some reality TV and I read books written by Uh, people who've been on reality TV. And that was really interesting. I think the biggest insight for me from reading the experiences of people who've done it was how sincere a lot of them were and um, how, you know, of course we know this, but you know, they don't really, they don't understand as they're in, in it. They don't necessarily understand that they are maybe being presented as the villain or the loser or whatever. So, um, so they're just really being themselves and they and and I was astonished you know to read that people on the bachelor really truly are looking for love in some cases that was that was kind of mind blowing for me and so yeah i guess it was fun it was really fun because the novel plays with reality with the with the themes of like what is real what is what is not in this world you know and i was writing this novel the first draft came out when donald trump was in power and you know it was just like he was playing with reality all the time. He was lying all the time. And so the novel kind of came out of a, a stew of, of me thinking about what is real in this era when, um, you know, someone powerful can go on Twitter and just tell a lie.
1: A lot of what uh, Donald Trump uh, um, raised in the public uh, mind is thinking about spirituality and what role it plays in the public uh, sphere. Interesting.
2: Yeah. I guess, though, so. um, that's an interesting sort of tie into the last question because uh, he re- he really fakes a religious persona, right? Yes. And um, so he pretends to be Christian, and it seems to be that the Christians in the U.S. pretend to believe that he's Christian, yes. um, which is so fascinating. And uh, yeah, so the book has characters in it, and I fe- it felt really important to me um, to to maintain this. He there are evangelical characters, so Amber's. Family is evangelical, and she has she's left the church, but she still has you know the sort of remnants of that growing that childhood growing up, and that's in the novel partly because of what I was seeing, and this has been you know it's way before Donald Trump, but seeing that the evangelical agenda has really become so prevalent in politics, and and has become so powerful, and I think we see it in Alberta too. So I wanted to kind of explore. the contradictions within that ideology i guess and and you know i there's so much uh goodness in in christian teachings and then there's also in my opinion there's been so much or uh done in its name so and we're see, we're seeing that in a kind of modern day context now um so yeah that was that was a lot of my thinking when I was writing the novel. And the novel is a kind of a climate change book, and and I wanted to think about where did this come from? You know, it's not just fossil fuels, it's also our values and and what we find important. So um, the, the father, the evangelical Christian father in the book, is a proponent of prosperity gospel, and he's, really interested basically in accomplishment and success and monetary gain and you know so that's part of my exploration of how did we get here how did we get to a point where this planet has been damaged so badly and we're not fixing it and we're not helping it fast
1: enough uh what do you make of the present uh, uh space race uh that is going on with uh billionaires which <laughs> this which is also part of the theme of the uh, book
2: mm mm-hmm. yeah good question um Well, okay. So we've talked about Donald Trump a lot, which is interesting. I didn't think that would come up. And I do think Elon Musk is kind of like Donald Trump, but like on steroids, you know, like Donald Trump has five kids. Elon Musk has 10. Donald Trump is a fake billionaire. Elon Musk is a real billionaire. And I do think, um, his, you know, he's the, the huge amount of ego that's going on in that billionaire space race. And, um, Elon Musk is, sort of the, the the voice of wishing to colonize Mars, um, as opposed to the other billionaires who are less enthusiastic about it, but they seem uh, I'm more interested in, like, space tourism, which, I mean, I think it's just, I think it's just shocking, to be honest, that, you know, we've got these men who have exploited the planet and exploited human labor so much, and then what they're putting their money into is often, you know, trying to get other rich people into space. You know, it's complex, and I try to, present this in the book there are it's, it's wonderful to have these ambitions it's wonderful to explore the universe and also there seems to be a real lack of empathy for our own planet
1: this uh, interview will air in september but uh we seem to be seeing the effects of climate change right now which is in the summer
2: mm-hmm. yeah it's been really i was thinking the other day i was thinking oh this is the worst wildfire season but perhaps it'll be the best wildfire season of the rest of our lives you never know at this point um yeah, it's, I think it's really emotionally hard, and, and yet I think it's so it's, it's so huge, right? It's, the problem and the solutions are so enormous that it can be so overwhelming, and I think a lot of us go into a kind of dissociated state where we maybe try not to think about it because it's too painful and we don't quite know what to do about it, and that was something I also wanted to explore in the novel was um, this feeling of paralysis that People, Even people who really care about these issues feel, and I mean, I've certainly felt that. I'm probably feeling it right now, paralysis and overwhelm. And I think fiction can really be helpful because it can help us process emotions. And, and I don't think we can really get through this crisis unless we are actually facing our, our feelings about it. Um, I think a lot of the problem is that, that people are, are turning away because it is so
1: painful. And I guess it's uh, easy to think of just uh, yourself in an island if you have a place to stay and and um, resources, but there are so many who don't have that, so yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. The book talks a lot about like kind of trying to escape. Um, I mean, obviously, Mars is just, like the biggest, most metaphorical kind of escape from the problems on Earth. I mean, I, I did try in the book. I mean, I, I feel, and I feel the book's argument is that if we try to separate ourselves from each other from this world, uh, that's going to be that kind. Of, that leads towards towards sort of death, literally, but also spiritually um, and emotionally. We really, I, I mean, I feel like in this moment, what we really need to do is, is a kind of forge
1: community. Uh, that's it for comments and questions. Um, anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up this interview?
2: I don't think so. Just your questions were really interesting. Thanks so much for, for reading the book so closely and, and um, for having me on the show.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Deborah Willis, for being on the show, and we'll talk to you again sometime soon.
2: Okay, yeah, thanks. okay
1: thanks. Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong for Redis Block. That was my interview with Deborah Willis, a Calvary author. She has released two short story collections and was writer in residence at the U of C in the academic year of 2012 to 2013. She is on Redis Block to talk about her debut novel. Girlfriend on Mars, which was released in June of this year, 2023.
0: You are tuned into to another episode of Writer's Block on CGSW 90.9 FM. Writer's Block airs on the third Wednesday of the month from 8 to 8.30pm. If you ever miss our show live, you can check us out on CGSW.com. Coming up next is my interview with MJ Panky. Stay tuned! Good evening everybody. You are tuned into CJSW 90.9 FM on Writer's Block. Tonight you are tuned into an interview between Maddie Robinson and MJ Pankey on her new book, Epic of Palinthia. Hey MJ, how's it going
3: tonight? It's going amazing. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Awesome. So, to get this interview started, did you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your, uh, a little bit about yourself and your work and things like this?
3: My name is MJ Pankey, and I'm the author of Epica *Epicaholentia*. And I am also the mother of three amazing kids. Uh, my son's name is Dante, and I have two twin girls named Artemis and Athena. So, the the Mediterranean influence is strong in my household. I am still kind of trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up but writing has always been a passion of mine um, ever since I was a little kid. I've always loved writing and it's not going to go away. It's going to be in my future somewhere. So it's definitely a huge part of who I am. My characters live in my brain. They have their own voices and I'm just their mediator, (laughs) essentially. Um, I don't know if that makes me sound crazy or not, but
0: that that makes yeah. total sense. That doesn't sound crazy at all. I feel like that's a sign that you, <laughs> you really connect with them. So that's that's a good thing. Yeah. So speaking of, I wanted to ask about about your new work and things like this. So how did you how did you get into writing? Like what brought you into writing or or made you want to write this, this book?
3: So I I don't remember why I started writing, but I started doing it when I was just a little kid, like almost as soon as I knew how to write. I was writing stories. My very first one was um it was a cat story and it was about my cats and I don't even remember what it was about, <laughs> but but I made them go on little adventures. Um what got me into writing Epic of Olympia though was I believe I I watched the movie Troy and fell in love with the movie and that made me want to read the Iliad and so when I was like 13 or 14 I read the Iliad and I just fell in love with Greek mythology and Greek literature and the stories and the characters. I loved how flawed they were. I loved how petty the gods were and how meddlesome everything was and just the conflict that it created for the story and for the plot and for the characters trying to figure themselves out and i wanted more of that i read a lot of other greek myths but they were all short and they weren't i mean besides the odyssey and the aeneid which i also read but that was really it in terms of like long form stories with greek mythology at the time now there's a lot at the time there there really wasn't anything else and so i just decided i wanted to write my own um and that's kind of where it started. My sister and my best friend had started writing like a kind of like a writers tag where we bought this journal and we started passing it around and it was completely different from Epic of Olympia. It was more medieval, had a totally different plot with totally different characters. One of those characters has survived though. And it is in and and she is in Epic of Olympia, but that kind of jump started Me thinking about more complicated plot, and I knew I wanted it to have something to do with mythology. And this was like, I don't know, I was like 12 or 13 when I first started thinking about this. So I just kind of morphed from there. Um, I finished the first draft of it in 2012, right before I joined the military. I made it like a point that I was going to finish my book, quote unquote, um, before I went to boot camp and just hours every day at the keyboard. I actually had this little um, word processor typewriter, and I didn't even have a computer. It was just this really obnoxious typewriter thing that I had, and I wrote my first draft on that, and then didn't do anything with it for the next six years. I got out of the military in 2018, I had just given birth to my son and we moved. And one of my colleagues, I currently worked at a university. It was called Western Governors University. I was a program mentor. That was my job out of the military. And one of my colleagues was also a writer. And he told me that I needed to find a critique group. I was like, what is that? (laughs) You know, little writer, me, with no experience living the sheltered life. I had no idea what a critique group was. And so he was like, yeah, it's just where writers get together and they share each other's work and they comment on, they give each other feedback. And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Like nobody wants to read my book. Like maybe I'll go find a critique group and they'll read it. And so that sounds awesome. Of course. So when we moved to this area, I looked for critique groups and there wasn't one. So I decided to create one. And in 2018, I created the um, Augusta Writers Critique Group on the meetup platform. And we're still going strong. Yeah, so it's been five years. So I think our first meeting was like August something, 2018. And at first we were meeting monthly at this little coffee shop. I mean, it was definitely a good experience even in the early days, just getting feedback on other people's perspectives. Cause as a writer, there's a learning curve to getting feedback. Because your story is so personal to you. You've like poured your soul into it. And you're just like, oh, I just love it. And I just know other people. Are gonna
0: love it too. I'll 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 jump in and just say yeah. Like the I'm definitely listening. But yeah, I know the critique group thing well because man, it's so it's so much harder and more challenging to receive a critique. I think than people realize because everyone thinks that like like I know a lot of people that aren't writers aren't really into it. But I think they think it's like an easy thing, but it's actually not because what you think you're saying and how it appears is always different, and you always Mm. get comments that are completely out of nowhere. And you're like, really? I didn't realize that line sounded that way or. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I just want to jump in quickly just to add on say like, yes, that's correct. <laughs> yes.
3: yes. 100%. And so, you know, the things that I thought about my story um, and like the, the passages that I had painstakingly worked and tweaked and molded and I thought sounded so amazing. People would swoop in and be like, this is too wordy. Like, eh, you're kind of losing me in here. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I thought that was like the best part of this whole chapter. And they're just tearing it to shreds. So it was, it was definitely rough, but I kept at it. Um, I think, yeah, I, I I kept at it. I kept going. And then when the pandemic hit in 2020, we took it online um, and we were meeting every single week. And I got to tell you, that's really when Epic of Halenthea started to shape itself into what it is now. Meeting with them every week and getting to submit a chapter every week Was amazing, but I think it wasn't necessarily the feedback on my story that really helped me improve it. It was me giving other people feedback and understanding what a good story is and what the elements of a good story are. So I would read someone's story and I would read something and feel funny about it, like, okay why doesn't this paragraph do what i want it to do and so to articulate that to the author in a way that's helpful to them number one but then number two like how how can they make this better you know and so analyzing what works and what doesn't is what helped me develop those skills to do it to my own writing I I guess in a roundabout way, what I'm trying to say is, if you are a writer and you are trying to improve your craft of writing, it's less about getting other people to read your stuff, and more about analyzing stories and figuring out how the story can be better, whether that's your story or someone else's story. And so yeah, so the critique group has been amazing. We're still going strong. Um, I've started submitting chapters for the sequel to them. And um, they're pretty excited. I don't want to say that stuff just rolls off of me because some of the criticisms are still, they kind of still hit close to home, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Honestly, I need someone to say this doesn't work because once your work gets out there and it gets in front of readers, they're going to say the same thing. And even worse, they're going to tell their friends and their other reader buddies, Hey, this book has problems you shouldn't waste your money that's really the the main benefit of a critique group
0: it's funny how when you first start with critique so it's hard not to take it personally I think everyone thinks too like like I've because I've taken so many courses with writing and it's all about the critique it's not about the grades it's about the critique even people I know that publish a lot and stuff they say like oh man that critique was really harsh or you know what I mean like I think it I think it can get to people and like a lot of people even come out saying I did not expect that you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like nobody knows how their writing sounds so I think it's super valid points. I wanted to comment on on two I think it's really interesting you're mentioning that one of the characters was still saved because I have a I I've been moving into other forms of art because I realized during Covid that writing was getting a little unhealthy for me just because I was you know behind a desk all day and then instead of seeing people after I was still behind the desk all day and so yeah. I realized that there's there's other things I want to do in my life and I don't know I wanted to play with other art forms as well which is why I kind of had to take a break but I will say it's interesting because as a kid I was very similar I I was always writing stories and if I ever have writer's block I find the first thing I do is and I open a really old story I wrote as a kid and then I rewrite it as an adult because I feel like the same character you still remember the character but they're different as an adult right so I don't know I thought that was very interesting that you mentioned that there's a character that was saved because I feel like every writer has that one character from when they were a kid that they could still write a story about. Do you know what I mean? Like, I find yeah, you can tell when someone really loves fiction because they have that one or two characters. Um, I, <laughs> so I love,
3: love that idea. Yeah. I'm going to have to dig up my cat stories. <laughs> you should <laughs> I can make of it now as an adult.
0: Well, totally, and that's that's what I always think is a fun, if you have writer's block, I think it's a fun exercise, because when kids never have writer's block, they don't have the inner critics, so I always think, go back to what you wrote as a kid, because it's always freewheeling, crazy, doesn't make sense yeah. in the stuff, right, so yeah, that's really interesting, but yeah, I guess I wanted to also ask a little bit more specifically about both this work, and kind of like the genre of it, because I understand that it's, it's classified as historical fantasy, and you say there's a lot of Mediterranean influence, like what pulled you into writing about this genre specifically? So,
3: um, when I was in college, I minored in classics, largely because I'd read the Iliad and loved it, and so I just wanted to know everything I could about Greek mythology. So, I minored in classics, and I just found the history. I mean, I, I've always loved history. I still love history, and there's just something magical about learning about a culture that lived thousands of years ago and getting to know something about people that aren't here anymore it there's just something magical about bridging that time gap and i i, I can't really explain what it is that draws me to um historical cultures and mythology it's just fascinating to me and the fantasy element comes in I, I, who doesn't love fantasy? I mean, I'm not sure how to even answer this question, but like blending something so intriguing as history with fantasy, which you can do anything you want. It's almost like you are breathing magic, magical life back into, you know, a culture, an ancient culture, and bringing them to, to this time period. Like, that sounds crazy, but that's kind of what draws me to it um i just find it fascinating how many different things you can play with when you're writing about them how many different conflicts and social inequalities and things like that that create good conflict and good opportunities for characters to really come to life and shine through um, and grow in in unique ways that still can resonate with people today and i think that's honestly that's where the magic is is you take an idea or, or a fact that you know we think is true about ancient greece 3000 years ago and create a story around it that is still relevant to someone today
0: but yeah it, it's interesting because i think i i went to greece recently awesome it was really interesting because greece was my favorite place out of everywhere i traveled and greece was very interesting because i went to like i went to a lot of different temples and stuff and i felt like the people were like like so friendly like the friendliest people but the history was like the most interesting because you'd be in a town like a regular city and then there'd be like ruins everywhere <laughs> like so yes here, right isn't that crazy and i thought man it's yes. so interesting they just like live among ruins one question that i wanted to ask really quickly um so i don't know if you ever liked percy jackson did you ever read those books or are these are those books kind of like now nah, those are too you know child literature for you did you ever look into them like out of curiosity
3: so i didn't actually um i just started with the iliad and kind of stuck with that but i did watch the movie and i liked it but as far as reading the books i'm not sure why i never picked them up but i didn't and actually i I haven't really read any of my comp titles um, like Cersei or Ariadne or any of those because I'm a little concerned that I might be influenced by them or like my writing style or something like that might be influenced by them. And I just I want to focus solely on making it as original as possible with with my primary influence being the Iliad so
0: I want to just ask about that just because yeah I know yeah I I did go to Greece recently and I found like it was probably my favorite area it was so beautiful but there's so much mythology and so many caves too like old caves where they used to do so and then nobody was there and I thought this is craziness like this is so (laughs) surreal for any of the readers that are interested in your work um where can they find this when can they find this when when will it be on the shelves essentially
3: so let me give a short little spiel um my my elevator pitch um so epic of helinthia is a story about an island in the ancient mediterranean that's ruled over by the goddess helinthia who's a goddess of my own creation and she's a relatively new goddess and she has found a way to offend the olympian gods which is not very hard to do (laughs) and um so she has been forced to step away from her island and this has plunged it into chaos and famine and so the five heroes of our novel they decide to how to fix this is to start a rebellion against the king um who is three steps ahead of them all the time and setting lots of traps and tricks Um, And, of course, they have no knowledge of what is actually going on with the goddess and the the Olympian gods. Um, So that creates lots of conflict and confusion. Um, And it's one book out of, I believe it's going to be three, maybe four. And it is available um, for pre-order just about anywhere you get a book. Um, You can get it from Barnes & Noble. You can get it from bookshop.org, which um, if you order it from them, a little bit of their proceeds goes to support indie bookstores. So I highly recommend ordering from bookshop.org. Um, Barnes and Noble has the ebook uh version as well. And you can also order it from Amazon. Um, so yeah, just about everywhere. And Waterstones, I believe, in the UK also has it. Um, and it's available in paperback, hardcover, large print and ebook. It comes out on one October
0: of I'll this just year. jump in and say for the, the Calgarian and Canadian listeners, um, if you go to any of the local bookstores as well, like the smaller bookstores, they can always order it for you if they don't find it. Mm-hmm. So, just so everyone knows. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for coming to talk with us about your work today. Um, I really appreciate it. And for any of the listeners, if you're interested in the book, uh, please check it out. Um, If you want to listen to the interview again, you can always listen again on cgsw.com if you missed any details. Um, And yeah, thank you, MJ, for coming on to chat with us. I really appreciate uh, chatting with you today.
3: Thank you so much. The pleasure has really been mine. I really enjoyed this. Thank Thank
1: you. Thank you. I appreciate it.